Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, former professor of theology and culture at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he also served as their fourth president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in again today. You know, nowadays it is not uncommon to hear people say things like, I'm an eight, what are you? Or I'm a three with a two wing, or you know, it just makes sense that you're feeling this way because you're definitely a four. (laughs) Now, if you are an Enneagram enthusiast, you know exactly what I'm saying. This is just part of your everyday vernacular. But if you're thinking, any of what? Don't worry. Today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this ancient personality um, test or typing system that has made a comeback in recent years, and it's known as the Enneagram. But I hope to go beyond just a basic primer of what the Enneagram is to really get Jim's buy-in on, you know, how should we think about this? How can this ancient tool be used, or how was it meant to be used? And is there any aspect of it that we need to exercise caution about? So, Jim, why don't you start us off by maybe giving those listeners who have no idea what we're talking about just like a basic introduction to what the Enneagram is? Sure. Um, it's deeply rooted in ancient Christian thinking and Christian spirituality. It goes all the way back to the time known as the Desert Fathers and Desert Mothers, uh, which were the earliest centuries of the uh, Eastern Christian monastic movement. The earliest name we've got attached to it is one that anyone who is familiar with the uh, the desert Christian era, monastic era, would know, and that's Evagrius. And um, and that was from the 4th century. And Evagrius had came up with a set of eight corresponding virtues and vices and used that as a spiritual uh, tool for spiritual transformation. And it later became so ingrained in the life of the church that it was kept being used. It was so healthy and helpful to say, okay, here's kind of eight things that you want to strive for. Here's the dark side of these eight. And uh, those uh, virtues and vices are part of the Enneagram to this day. They later became the foundation for something that might be more familiar to people, which are the seven deadly sins of the Middle Mm -hmm. Ages that also had corresponding uh, virtues tied to the seven deadly sins. The goal of these kind of lists were very simple. If If you could get in touch with who you are, um, the personal, the spiritual, the personality, all of that dynamic and how it interacts with who you're not supposed to be along with who you are supposed to be, uh, then you had the self-knowledge needed to go on a path of spiritual transformation. And and you needed that knowledge. You could have real substantive transformation because if you don't know who you are, it's very difficult to know God. If you if you don't know God, it's very difficult to know who you are. So, so it, it wasn't a narcissistic kind of self-absorbed self-knowledge. It was a sense of a a frank assessment of yourself spiritually. And, you know, when they say the truth will set you free, I mean, a lot of that truth is the truth about who you are and and how you're wired up. It's called the Enneagram because of the way it's drawn. Uh, Ennea is Greek for nine, and then uh, gram means drawing. And so you have this nine-pointed geometric figure that illustrates nine different but interconnected personality types. Uh, Each number represents a different uh, personality type, and then all nine types are connected to other types in different ways. So there's lines drawing around it. So with the Myers-Briggs, you have INTJs or ENTJs or ENTPs. With the Enneagram, as you mentioned at the beginning, 
you have ones, twos, fives, eights, you know, any number from one to nine. And then the lines between those numbers uh, and are the other two personality types that are kind of linked to your primary number. And everyone has one number. You're one thing. Everybody wants to be, I want to be a little bit of this and that and the other, but Enneagram people will tell you that, no, you're, you're one number. And then that's linked to two others. And you go to one of those two numbers, either in stress or in health. And you kind of run to one or the other, depending upon how you are doing. So yeah, that's a ridiculously short <laughs> introduction to the dynamics of play, but that obviously leaves a lot for us to talk about. No, that's really helpful. And you know what? When I first heard you teach on this and when you were giving that Christian background about, you know, the origin of the Desert Fathers, I was really shocked because I just assumed, I mean, I only heard about this a few years ago, but I assumed just the way that it's described and used that it was a new age thing because other groups or other yeah populations outside of the church use the Enneagram. So who, maybe you could clarify, like who else would use this language? Who else uses the Enneagram? And as a Christian, like, does it even really matter that they do? Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you first hear it, it does feel, gosh, is this some new agey thing? Or, and then when some people, when they look at the actual Enneagram, they say, what, is that a pentagram? You know, yeah. Isn't that like occult? No, 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 yeah. no. Um, the Enneagram and all things attached to it. Um, yeah, it, it's not it's Christian origin and it's it's been used throughout Christian history, but it wasn't copyrighted by fourth century monks uh, (laughs) or medieval Christian leaders or even um, current Christian pastors, which means it can be and has been co-opted and used by all kinds of groups and philosophies and worldviews and religions. So if you start Googling away with Enneagram, you're going to run across all kinds of stuff. In fact, I would say, please don't Google Enneagram Mm. (laughs) because, uh, because uh, you'll find a lot of, you know, potential misuse and even deception, uh, you know, that people are trying to co-opt. Uh, but used as intended, this is something that's been with the church for almost 2,000 years and used by Christian spiritual directors uh, the whole run with enormous value. Now, you mentioned earlier, you, you talked about Myers-Briggs, and I think a lot of people talk about other personality types and kind of lump the Enneagram in with them, you know, like Myers-Briggs or Strengths Finders or whatever they might be. But the Enneagram is quite different from those other personality tests. And so can you shed a little bit of light, a little bit of light on how they're, how it's different? Yeah, it's deeply spiritual. I mean, I mean, when you when you really get into it, you realize, oh, no wonder this came out of the monastic movement. When no wonder this came out of spiritual formation, spiritual directors, and and Christianity from almost its earliest days, because it does something. It really gets into the not not just human personality, but it gets into sin. I mean, it's it's the only thing out there that that you know talks about sin, acknowledges sin, includes the dark side, the shadow side of your personality. And that's what sets the Enneagram apart. Uh, it goes deep and it takes sin very, very, very seriously. Uh, it gets into motivations. It gets into shadow lives and what drives us and what sins we might be more vulnerable to than others, which is really important spiritual territory because every person involved in spiritual formation, any thoughtful Christian who's ever walked with Christ for any length of time and is reflected on their spiritual life knows that you know they have vulnerabilities. There's areas that they know that Satan can exploit maybe with more success in other areas. That's just a fact. Um, so you don't just walk away with a typology. You don't just walk away saying, okay, I'm an eight or I'm a four. Uh, you live with this. 
You know, what does it mean to be this and have this type? And what are what are the signature sins that go with it, as well as the the virtues? And and what do I need to be aware of that I'm I'm prone to? And and um, you look deeply into a mirror and you see the nature of how your personality works, how it should work. It's it's a spiritual microscope uh, that you put yourself under. And another thing too that I really like is that um, the enneagram is is it acknowledges we are not static. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's like, uh, okay, you're not just a nine, but as a nine, you can have a good day or a bad day. Mm-hmm. You can be in a healthy place or you can be in a very unhealthy place. And the Enneagram kind of helps you see what your tendencies might be. Uh, you know, this is what a healthy nine should be like and where it should run to in times of when it's good. But, you know, when you get stressed or there's something, you know, you're going to be tempted to go here. This is where you run for stress. That's not necessarily a bad thing because a lot of times where you run in stress is also how you rebuild yeah. and renew. So it's just, it's, it's all these things to take into account. It, it just acknowledges we're not, we're not static. And, um, and, uh, and I think that's, that's, that's very, very important to understand mm-hmm. for any, any type of spiritual formation. Yeah. I, I love how dynamic the Enneagram is, like you've just mentioned. And I, I Ever since I've learned about it, I'm a card-carrying Enneagram fan for sure. And it's been really helpful for me based on a lot of the things that you just described. But I, I, I've, I've wondered something for a while about this. I'm just going to take advantage of the fact that we're having this conversation to ask you about your thoughts on it because there's one aspect of the Enneagram I think that I've kind of struggled with. And it's this whole idea that, you know, if there are these nine types, then it kind of suggests that God used, and for lack of a better term, just kind of go with this um, analogy with me, but it's like he used nine cookie cutters when he created all of humankind. I mean, you can say that, well, just because you're a nine, like two nines could be completely different from one another and, you know, good days, bad days, whatever. And so, you know, that that I, I get that that's true, that there's a lot of variety there, but it still suggests that there are only nine different ways or nine building blocks that God used when he created humanity. And I don't know, I just wonder what your perspective of that is. Like, do you feel like that limits God's creativity or is it okay yeah. that he might have created that way? Well, let me put my theologian hat on and answer it <laughs> Thank you. Uh, theologically, which is, which is through the lens of the doctrine of humanity. The answer to your question is yes to both. He he used for you, to use your analogy, there were cookie cutters and enormous diversity. And let me let's go all the way back to the founding. He created us as two types of humans. I mean, you're male and female. Sure. Okay. Yeah. You, you want to make the cookie cutter? It's just two. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Right? So so it's not even and so and then within the two there are you, you can say okay now there's nine enneagram types if you want to go ahead and 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 put that into the canon. But at the same time, it's saying that there is this limited diversity. Okay, there's extroverts and there's introverts. There's not a, and maybe some stuff in between, but there's just, you know. But within that limited diversity, God gave infinite diversity. For example, no one has the same fingerprints. Mm. No one has the same retina. No one has the same vocal pitch. And so you have this wonderful blend when it comes to the doctrine of humanity of both um, of simplicity and commonality and every single individual completely unique. So it's both at play, which I think is part of the beauty of creation. 
Yeah, I I appreciate that. I like that you kind of drew it back to even just the, the two, as you mentioned, the two cookie cutters in the very beginning, but yet there's so much diversity in that. I appreciate that. Well, yeah, and 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 you know, um, and so and so, and I think that even when you walk through, in fact, let me see if I can do this. When you walk through the nine types, mm-hmm. even as I describe them, you say, "Oh my gosh, you can." I mean, yes, that applies with specificity, but you can also drive a truck through it in terms of how much diversity there could be with people. For example, type one is the um, reformer. Some call it the perfectionist. Um, They're ethical. They're dedicated. They are uh, reliable. They're motivated by a desire to live the right way, to improve the world, to avoid fault and blame. Mm. Type two is the helper. Uh, typically called, they are warm, they're caring, they're giving, they're motivated by a need to be loved and needed and to avoid, interestingly, they're very interested in helping other people, but they don't want to acknowledge their own needs. Mm. Uh, Type three is the achiever uh, or the performer, very success-oriented, image-conscious, wired for uh, productivity. Uh, They're motivated by the need to be, or at least to appear to be successful and to avoid failure. Uh, the fourth type is the individualistic or the, the romantic. They're creative, they're sensitive, they're moody, um, <laughs> pensive, reflective, moody. They are motivated by a need to be understood and experience their oversized feelings and to avoid being ordinary. Um, actors, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Type five is the investigator, uh, analytical, detached, private. Uh, They're motivated by a need to gain knowledge and conserve energy and to avoid relying on others. Type six is the loyalist, Uh, committed, practical, witty. Uh, They they do tend to be worst case scenario thinkers who are motivated by fear and the need for security. Uh, Type seven is the enthusiast, think golden retriever. They're fun, they're spontaneous (laughs) and adventurous. They're motivated by a need to be happy. Um, to plan stimulating experiences and to avoid pain. Type eight is the challenger, uh, commanding, intense, confrontational, motivated by a need to be strong and avoid feeling weak or vulnerable. And then type nine is the peacemaker, uh, pleasant, laid back, accommodating. Uh, They're motivated by a need to keep the peace and they can always see both sides to everything. And they uh, want to merge with others and avoid conflict. And that's ridiculously quick overview of the nine types, but at the same time, you can see enormous, even with nine types, you can see how much diversity there could be within each type and how different aspects of it might loom larger than others. But that's, that's basically that. Sure. Now, in all fairness, you know that a lot of our listeners, as they're hearing these nine types are fairly thinking or wondering, I wonder what Jim is. But in all fairness, when it comes to the Enneagram, one of like the cardinal rules is that you never type someone else. You never say like, no. you got to be a three or I bet you're a seven. That's like- It would be really insulting. You don't do that. Right. <laughs> you yes, get exactly. the number wrong or you're wielding it like a sword. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Especially if you're like, you, you, you seem like a four. Yeah. They're just like some things <laughs> that you just don't say. But all that to say, I mean, if you wanted to- you want to know. Volunteer uh, that information. All right. O- only if turnabout's fair play. Oh, okay. That's fair. I think I think I know. I think we've talked about it. I think I know, but I want you to remind me. On the Myers Briggs, I am an INTJ, hmm. uh, and that surprises people. Not so much the NTJ, you know, the thinker, judge, and and and, but um, the introvert part. But I am. I'm, I'm a flaming introvert, and it's interesting. A lot of a lot of people in leadership and other places are, um, and a lot of of uh, pastors are introverts. I've, it's one of those things that people just assume that if you're maybe good with people or comfortable 
you know, or, or your, your speaker or whatever, that you must be an extrovert. And uh, I'm, I'm not. And, and the real mark of an introvert is that you get your emotional energy from being alone. So I can I can love people I can be with people all day but then at the end of a day full of people I go home and I've got a cocoon and I've got to be away. Uh, now those closest to me don't often count against my introvert tank but even those very closest to me I still can just so look forward to a day totally alone even though I miss someone I deeply love but that's the way an introvert is they get their emotional energy from being alone. On the enneagram I am a flaming eight. Probably <laughs> no surprise there. Okay. And you. Um, so this is so funny that you uh, mentioned this whole diversity aspect of the Enneagram because interestingly, like for Myers-Briggs, um, you said you're an INTJ, which is like a, if you know Myers-Briggs, like is a very rare combination. There aren't a lot of INTJs, but it's just funny that I am also an INTJ (laughs) on Myers-Briggs, but, um, in Enneagram language, you and I couldn't be more different because I am a one. I am nothing like an eight, but yes, I am a one on the Enneagram. And I'm going to say something that's, that you're not supposed to say. Okay. Explain so much. Oh, well, thank you. Okay. Likewise. (laughs) Just just so that everybody knows a one is the perfectionist. Yeah. They are ethical, dedicated, reliable, motivated by a desire to live the right way, to improve the world, and to avoid fault and blame. Mm. So there you go. You know, the Enneagram can be a very exposing type of thing. <laughs> but anyways, well, okay, so I want to know. Okay, wait till we get to the signature sins. Oh, great. I hate eights. <laughs> um, but I want to know then a little bit more. I know our listeners would love to as well, just as they get to know both of us better. But I, I, people want to hear about your journey. Like, how how has the Enneagram been helpful for you? Because, I mean, you've, you're obviously, you know, agree with the Enneagram or you support it. You've taught about it at MEC. And so how have you found it helpful for you? There was a, a theologian from the Reformation who made a statement that I think is is quite penetrating and quite true, that there's no deep knowing of God without deep knowing of self, and there's no deep knowing of self without deep knowing of God. And the Enneagram helps us with a deep knowing of self. And that was my initial attraction to it, understanding the self, because you can't change what you can't name. And, and, and the Enneagram helps you name things and, and put and, and come to that self-understanding and that leads to transformation. So that was first, understanding self. But later, I, 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 I broadened it out to how the Enneagram helps you understand others. And that's been and that's huge. And I'll, I'll just kind of tell you a little quick thing here that, about where I was convicted on this. Before I started this series, while I was in the midst of all the research going into it, I wanted to have coffee at the grounds, which is our bookstore and cafe with a woman on our staff that you know very well, mm-hmm. uh, who um, was, I knew she was really into the Enneagram. And then she probably the most knowledgeable person that I knew of personally at the time, um, before I met people like Suzanne Stabile and others like that. And, and But I knew she was really into it and had been for a while. And I had a whole list of questions for her. You know, why were you attracted to it and, and, and what you've learned from it and all that. And we had this delightful conversation. And, and what struck me most was how, she talked about how she was applying it to her life. And for her, you know, I was all about me. I was all about my self-understanding and spiritual formation. When I talked to her, she wasn't thinking about herself at all. Uh, her initial take was how this, how I can help understand other people and how I can better relate to other people. And, you know, if she was, say, a nine, how could I, how could I be a better friend to my friend who's a two? And how can I understand that? And, 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 and her, or a husband who was a six or a child who was a seven or an employee or a colleague who was a, a five. Her fascination was the knowledge 
um, gained by the personality type and insights of the Enneagram and how that could inform her world of interpersonal relationships. And I, I just be honest with you, I found that very convicting. And, and it was, and it is an important thing for me because for example, I'm an eight, I'm married to a nine Mm -hmm. and that's actually a fairly common grouping. And, and a lot of Enneagram, you know, insights would say that that actually makes for a very good marriage. It's very, it's a good, it's a good blend. And, uh, since we're almost 40 years, yeah, I would say that's true for us, (laughs) but, um, but you know, it, it helps me understand, you know, my wife and help me understand because I, I can go to school on her in a way that's so healthy, just understanding more about nines and how they think and how I can be sensitive to that. And how it also helps you tear away like, okay, when they do that, they're not meaning to be X. It's sure. just the way a nine is. It's just the way they think and the way they process information. And so that's, that's, it's, it's really excellent for uh, marriage, parenting, knowing what your, your children are, uh, you can't really type a child till later, but, you know, um, you know, but yeah, it's, it's very, it's very helpful on interpersonal. So self-awareness and then interpersonal relationships. Sure. Well, I, I want to ask then, you know, if there are dangers associated with the Enneagram, like one thing I think um, of right away is it's again, like if a cardinal rule is don't type people, um, another rule is that you can't use the Enneagram as an excuse for your behavior. Like you can't say like, well, you know, I'm a one. So I just, that's just the way that it is or like that. So that's why I did this or whatever, um, that you can use that to help you, but that's just the way that you see the world, but that doesn't excuse the behavior that you always have a choice there. That's the exact opposite of what the Enneagram is meant to do. What the Enneagram is meant to do is to say, yeah, this may be your proclivity. This may be how you're wired, but that's, but you know, that's why you've got to be aware of it. So you can actually, you know, uh, have the spiritual disciplines to war against the dark side of those things. For example, I mentioned earlier that, that all of the nine have like a signature sin, for lack of a better phrase, that's attached to it. Uh, a, a one is prone to anger. Um, pride is what a two tends to be. Three is deceit. Four is envy. Uh, a five is avarice or greed. Six is fear. Seven is gluttony. Eight is lust. And nine is sloth. Uh, so, you, you know, just knowing that that can be, you know, not a license, that would be the terrible way to take it, but to realize these, these are where I'll have to be even more careful and, 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 and put more, more effort into my own spiritual transformation. And also when you look at those things, you have to be careful too about like take lust, you know, the signature sin of an eight. There's a lot of ways to lust. It's not all sexual. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can lust for power. You can lust for money. You can lust after a lot of things. Lust, we, we, we often typecast that to automatically be sexual temptation where, um, but lust is a multifaceted yeah. thing, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, you never use your number to excuse anything. Your number is what you actually use to, as is your excuse to uh, not stay the same. Right. You know, okay. I mean, knowing your number is, is, is like, okay, now that I know that I can go to work, there is no excuse now for uh, getting a path of transformation. I feel like as somebody, as two people who appreciate the Enneagram and who, who, I don't know, who, who, for whom it's been helpful, we could go on for a long time talking about this. But at the same time, I feel like this is just a conversation. I want to talk about your anger issues. Oh, great. Thank you. 
<laughs> my resentment. <laughs> um, but Did I think it's you a, angry? No, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're all in the anger eights, nines, and ones. We're in. Oh, I know. We are, we're linked. Yeah. I mean, you, you say that we're polar opposites of ones and eights, and people really yeah. into the enneagram know that actually we're part of what's called a triad. Yes. Of that, that where anger and emotion and all that is is runs a little freer. Yeah. So we were both pretty angry people, essentially, is what you're saying. Um, but anyways, I think this was a great introduction. I think that this helped us with, you know, within the parameters of this podcast of helping us to think Christianly about this, how we can use it, that we should take this seriously because, you know, it has deeply Christian roots and I appreciate that part of it a lot. But there's so much that we have not covered that has could be really helpful. And so maybe we could just end by you recommending some resources because you mentioned don't Google it. So um, I know in the back of your mind, you've got some things that you would recommend for people. So what, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, um, I think Suzanne Stabile is writing the most, the best stuff, the soundest stuff, the sanest stuff, the most Christian and, and deeply rooted in Christian moorings. Um, and uh, I, I count Suzanne a friend. We've interviewed her. I interviewed, actually flew to Texas and um, I arranged to interview her there as part of a series that we did on the Enneagram here. And she's just a delightful human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she's just one of these very authentic people. And she's very transparent about her own story as a two and uh, being an orphan and, and adopted. And anyway, she's, 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 a, she's a master Enneagram teacher. And her books have been published by InterVarsity Press, a very respected evangelical publisher. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first book she wrote, The Road Back to You, is the one I would start with, The Road Back to You. And it's all about the self-discovery side of it. Her second book, which I would not read till after you read that first one, because that really grounds you in the Enneagram. The second one is The Path Between Us, and that's on relationships. And then she's got a third one that's coming out right now. And um, and uh, so I would I would just, Suzanne Stabile. I mean, I, I would I would heartily recommend her and um, uh, as, a, as a place to start. And with her book, The Road Back to You is the one I would start off with. Okay. And also we did a whole series. We did a whole series. Yeah, so if we'll you want a broader that. biblical kind of how this ties in, particularly Paul's theological talk about old self, new self, mm-hmm. and 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 in kind of a, a biblical and theological grounding uh, of this, um, we'll link that in the show notes as well of the series that we did here at Mac, where I, I tried to teach on that as, as clearly as I could. Awesome. This has been a lot of fun. And for those of you who are listening who love the Enneagram, I hope this just filled that cup for you. And then if you've never even heard of it, hopefully this um, whetted your appetite to want to learn more about it. But that's all the time we have for today. So we hope you'll join us again next week. Thanks.